Pastor Xavier Reese says it's wise to seek good advice and wiser still to heed it. David asks and inquires the Lord. See, he recognizes his need of God's direction and will and asks very specific questions. That's always the first step in the right direction, to turn to God and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm amazed how often we want God's counsel when we hear it. We say, well, that doesn't seem very good to me. If you ask him what he wants you to do, when he tells you, obey him. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. This simple truth from Psalm 16:7 reflects the better judgment of David seeking safe refuge in his God. But this wasn't always the case, as Pastor Xavier has demonstrated in our character study series of the life of David. If there's one thing we've been learning, it's that God is able to teach us through both the good and bad examples of His own throughout the Scriptures. Here's Pastor Xavier to begin today's study, picking up in 1 Samuel chapter 27. David took into his own hands to seek out protection for himself with the enemy, King Achish of Gath. Now David said in his heart, Now I shall perish some day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. Now notice first that there is no mention that God directed David. That's important, okay? Notice secondly also that there is only evidence that David came to this conclusion based on his own reasoning that he would perish one day at the hand of Saul. Now, it's important for us to always remember what God has told us, what God has affirmed in our life, because there are many situations in life, they're going to come into our life, they're going to look like we're going to perish. They're going to look so threatening. And I have to remember God's promises. You remember that his good friend Jonathan come out and encouraged him. He said, surely you're not going to die. You're going to be the next king. Now, here comes another storm. When the storms come, you and I need to remember God's word. Now, notice secondly from verse 5 to 7, David deceived Achish, leading him to believe that he had deserted Israel and joined forces with the Philistines. In verse 5, David acted in false humility and asked for a city apart rather than dwelling in the royal city. He says, if I have now find favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country, something insignificant, that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city? Wow. <laughs> David was given Ziklag which belonged to the kings of Judah. It's kind of ironic. <laughs> He's given his own city. David spent one year, verse 7 says, and four months in exile in the enemy's camp. That's a heck of a long time. It is amazing how long Christians can live in deception about themselves and their lifestyle and not turning from it. Now later on we'll learn in the life of David that he lived one year in a sinful state with Bathsheba before repenting till Nathan was sent to him and he pointed his prophetic bony finger and said, you're the man. And I'm always amazed when I talk to Christians who have deceived themselves for whatever length of time and they refuse to turn from what they know is wrong. The deception is in thinking that God honors it. Well, if he really didn't like it, he would have done something about it. Oh, no, no, no. Listen, God does not settle all of his accounts in one day, but one day he will settle all of his accounts. Be patient. He will get to you. He's in no hurry. 
Notice 30. In verse 8, David was destroying the enemy in the land. The Gizrites, the Amalekites. And then in verse 9, David killed everyone to make sure no one escaped and told King Achish. And when asked where he had been, in verse 10, he told the king that his raid was against Judah, the great-grandson of Judah, and the tribe from which his father-in-law Moses was, the Kenites. He led the king to believe that he had truly deserted Israel and caused them to abhor him. Therefore, David would be his servant forever. You see, one of the things that's the most treacherous is when we let somebody believe or we lead someone on to believe something as being genuine when it really isn't. And we allow them to take us into their affection, to their heart, to their trust. And then when they are the closest, we betray. That's why it's called treachery. When someone who's a complete stranger robs you or deceives you or rips you off, you get mad, but you get over it because no one close to you. When someone who's close to you does something like that, it tears you up because you open yourself up. David is doing this. When we get to chapter 28, verse 1 and 2, David was asked to go into battle against Israel with King Achish. Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, you surely know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. And so David said to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore, I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. Now, there's been a bond here. There's been a, a relationship. There's been an entrustment, a confidence going on. This man's asking this man, David, to go into battle. You know, you went to war. I mean, you're trusting your life to him. This is how close he had gotten to him. While all along being hypocritical, lying, deceiving. Now notice, secondly, David's compromise backfired on him. When we get to chapter 29, verse 1 through 11. David was rejected by the Philistines. In verse 1 and 3, first of all, the princes of the Philistines objected to David joining them in battle. The Wakish vowed for him as having no fault since his defection. He says, Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Epic, and the Israelites encamped by the fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed in review of the hundreds and thousands, but David... And his men passed in review at the rear with Achish. Then the princes of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And rightly so. Yet Achish responded in favor of David. He had found no fault in him. See, David had taken in the king. David needed some commendation. Some, uh, someone with power to back him up. But the prince of the Philistines were angry with him. So the prince of the Philistines told him, Make this fellow return, that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him, and do not let him go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become our adversary. For with what could he reconcile himself to this master, if not with the heads of these men? Is this not David of whom they sang to one another and danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands? So notice, first they fear lest David turn on them and become their adversary in battle. They're pretty smart. 
as they recall the song, Saul has sang his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. They knew he was dangerous. The king called David and with much grief denied his going out to battle with them. Now he's being betrayed. He doesn't know it. David went on to put on a feigned emotional display of hurt and disappointment, arguing that he was blameless before him. But what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the king? This is one of the most treacherous dealings of David's life. For David allowed Achish to trust, impart affection, and become close to David, while all along knowing that he was going to turn on him as Judas to Jesus. Notice in verse 11, So David and his men rose early and departed in the morning and returned to the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. David's compromise backfired on him. Didn't work out the way he thought. Chapter 30. Verses 1 through 6, first of all, David's absence had allowed Ziklag to be attacked and burned by the Amalekites. He says, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south of Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire. And had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his son and his daughter. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. His God. Notice that the Amalekites were the enemy of Israel since the Exodus. A type of the flesh which can only be defeated through prayer and dependency on God. You try to destroy and to defeat your flesh any other way, you'll never do it. It will win every time. Moses said, the Lord has sworn... The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation in Exodus seventeen sixteen. Remember, Moses was lifting his hands up. And her and Aaron kept putting stones under him. As long as his hands were lifted, Joshua would be defeating the Amalekites. And when they were down, the Amalekites would get the victory. The Amalekites here burned the city with fire. They took captive all, small, great. They killed none. But again, a type of the flesh. What did it do? It took captive and it destroyed. That's what the flesh does. It takes captive and it destroys. The flesh promises great liberty and freedom, but it can't deliver. It takes captive and it destroys. Notice verses 3 and 4. The men returning, realizing their wives and their children were taken, they wept bitterly. You can just imagine them coming back to the city. They've been rejected. They may be angry, disappointed. And then as they are approaching Ziklag, they see some smoke. And all of a sudden, 
That battle didn't matter. All of a sudden, they started thinking, we should have never come. What were we thinking when we came? Notice David's two wives had also been taken in verse 5. The remorse for his carelessness must have haunted him at this point. The fault could be placed on no one else. He's the leader. Notice David was greatly distressed due to the fact that the people spoke of stoning him. <laughs> his compromise nearly cost him his life. You see, they knew that if David had not chosen to come to Achish, their families would be safe. They knew that if David would not have attempted to go to battle with the Philistines, their families would have been safe. They would have been home to defend them. They knew of all the lies that David had been living out towards the king. And without doubt, they thought perhaps this was reaping to all they had been sowing. Now, though David is wrong and David's at fault, God is so gracious. Notice. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. He is our strong tower. No matter how far down the road we are, if we choose to turn, he'll take us in. David had to encourage himself in the Lord, not in himself, but in the Lord. Even as Jonathan had encouraged him in the wilderness. David was all alone. It was just him and God. And let me tell you, if you've never been there, be patient. You will be there once, twice, three, and many, many more. You and God and nobody else. He has some very special times. They're not always the most ones that we like at first, but after we go through them, we wouldn't trade them for all the money in the world. And we have to go through it. Now notice secondly here, verses 7 through 20. David pursued the Amalekites. In verse 7 and 8, David asks Abiathar to bring the ephod and inquire of the Lord. This is the priest. See, he recognized his need of God's direction and will and asked very specific questions. If he should pursue or not. If he should overtake them, to which God said yes. Verse 7 and 8. That's always the first step in the right direction. To turn to God and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, if you ask him what he wants you to do, when he tells you, Obey him. <laughs> I'm amazed how often we want God's counsel when we hear it. We say, well, that doesn't seem very good to me. And so we go to another church so we can find a counselor that will tell us what we want to hear. And then we're in the position of David. Reaping the what we've sown. Notice David in verse 9 and 10 set out with 400 men. But 200 became weary and stayed at the brook Bezor. In verses 11 through 15, David and his men found an Egyptian slave who the Amalekites had um, left for dead, having been sick. And he told them of their raid on Ziklag, not knowing who they were. And then he led them to the camp with conditions that they would not kill him or return him to his master. So they struck a deal in verses 16 through 20. David found them celebrating, dancing, and none of them escaped except 400 young men. On camels, recovering all, as well as making all his spoil his own again. Notice that though the situation looks so bleak, when he turned to the Lord, the Lord helped him. Sometimes it doesn't come out so clean, does it? <laughs> Sometimes we turn to the Lord 
And the Lord doesn't work it out so well. He allows us to reap some of the consequences, but He's there with the grace to bear them. So, this doesn't always happen so positive. In this situation, it did. Why does God do it sometimes? He's sovereign. I don't know. He's wiser than I am. Does He love one person more than another? Never. He's not a respecter of person. He deals with me individually. He knows what is best for my life, and He knows how to call the shots. Notice thirdly in verses 21 through 25, David returned in victory to the 200 men at the brook Bezor. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Bezor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and the worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered except for every man's wife, children, that they may lead them away and depart. But David said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter but as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. Notice verse 21, David greeted the men who had become weary and could not follow. David was a person who cared about his people. It's one of the key characteristics about a shepherd that he cares for his people. Some of them couldn't go on. He said, okay, you guys stay here. Now notice secondly, David, in verse 22, rebuked the wicked and greedy men, for they did not want to give any of the spoil to the 200 who had stayed behind. They said, well, just give them their wives and their kids and that's it. Now listen, David gave two reasons why this ought not to be in verses 23 and 24. David pointed out that it had been the Lord who had given them the spoil and victory. That's good. <laughs> Never lose perspective. What you get, God gives you. Oh, but you don't understand. I worked 80 hours. No, he gave, who gave you the health to work? Who gave you the strength? Who gave you the brains? Secondly, verse 24. David declared that those who go out to the battle and those who remain back by the stuff or the supplies are equal shares in the spoils of battle. That's good. You know why? Because I want you to make a parallel with husband and wife. The husband goes out and works. The husband's out there fighting the battle. But the wife's back home taking care of the stuff. And she's a recipient. When I get my check, I go home, it's our check. Some of you as married couples, you have your checking account, her checking account. You're one. You have your cookies on the left side of the kitchen, her cookies on the right side. Our, our, get used to that. One flesh. You're one. Everything is one. Money, accounts, retirement, suffering, pain, misery, everything. We are one. Absolutely one. You need to understand that. Apply that to your life in every level. For those of you that are married. Nothing is yours alone. Not even your sin. Because you affect the other one. Notice fourthly, 
verse 26 to 31, David returned to Ziklag. Now when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, his friends, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. David sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah and his friends. He begins at the top. Priorities. Second, verse 27 to 31, David also sent part of the spoil to the surrounding cities. Thirteen in number are recorded here. In doing this, David manifested one of the most valuable and basic characteristics of a true spiritual leader. Despite his gross failure later in life, you cannot deny this basic principle. David did not only think of himself alone to be enriched. He always imparted. Always. David as a true shepherd cared for the people. Very, very important. David, though he had much, did not live for it. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me to the Philippians in the context of the financial money that he had. He says, when I have a lot, I enjoy it and I've learned to live that way. And when I don't have any, it's the same to me. It doesn't matter. And as you know, Paul worked with his own hands to provide his own so he wouldn't be a burden to the church. And he also provided for others who couldn't provide for themselves. We as Christians should be good stewards of what God gives to us. You can be a steward in a lot of ways. First of all, don't buy impulsively. Shop around. Get the best buy. You can get top quality things without paying top quality prices. Second of all, always put something away. Third of all, always look where you can save on what you're already Spending. Simple things. God, give me wisdom. Am I living for those things? No, but I'm a steward. Right? Very important. David's compromise chastened him severely. Compromise in life is settling for second, third, fourth, even fifth best. While all along knowing you could have had the best. The first. A person named Asshope speaks in one of his fables about a time when the beasts and fowls were engaged in war. The bat tried to become to both parties one. When the birds were victorious, he would wing around telling them he was a bird. When the beasts won the fight, he would walk around them assuring them that he was a beast. Soon, his hypocrisy was discovered, and he was rejected by both the beast and the birds. He had to hide himself, and now only by night can he appear openly. How interesting. Picture of a lot of people in the church. Because we're not here to judge the world, but we better judge one another. David, the man in exile, in the events of compromise, revealed these three things. David's compromise was due to leaning to his own understanding. David's compromise backfired on him. And David's compromise chastened him. May God give us wisdom that we learn from the failures and tragedies and consequences of others as we come to the very same place. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, noting how leaning on our own understanding is usually just a setup for a fall. Simple truths he draws from our continuing character study series of David. Now, today's study is simply titled David Part 4 and is available on CD for just $4. Everything we shared last time will be included as well, so it makes a convenient way to study the message more in depth and at your own pace. The title to ask for once more is David Part 4, or just mention today's date when you get in touch. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please help us by including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. If your life seems like it's fractured and falling apart, Pastor Xavier Reese says the best way to get it together is to rest in God. More Simple Truths right here next time. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com